0: How are you doing? I'm excited. Uh, this is part three of talking about King David. And uh, this is the final part. And uh, so I'm just really excited to preach the word today. We are not going to be able to cover all of David's life. I do hope, though, that by the after today, you, you will be inspired and want to go back and, and learn more about this man after God's own heart. Because that's the type of men and women that we want to be. That we want to be men and women that are known as, as people that are after the heart of God. Okay? So before we jump in, let's pray. Father, we, uh, we're so grateful and we're humbled to be here. We're thankful for, for how you work in our lives and how you've moved in our lives up until this point. And Lord, I, I pray that our hearts can be softened to your words, to your examples, that we can look at a guy like David, an imperfect man, but still was known as a man after your own heart. And that we, when we get a chance, we can look at Jesus and, and how he was that perfect man, but was still obedient to you. Lord, we love you, be with us as we look in your word today. and your sons and I pray. Amen. I want to start off by asking a question this morning, and it's, how do you handle power? How do you handle authority? How do you handle influence? Fact is, every single one of us has power. We have authority. We have influence. It might be only yourself. Truth is, every single person here, you have the power and the control over yourself. Some of you have more. Some of you have, you're the king of the classroom. Some of you are the king of the locker room. Some of you are the king or the queen of the boardroom. Maybe the only king or queen you are is your room. Your room at house. Maybe that's it. But 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 whatever it is, your house, your business, yourself, what do you do with that amazing power? I want to look at the life of David, and really we're going to look at his journey to the throne, and then look at the first thing he did as a king, and why it was so significant, and learn a few things from there. But in 1 Samuel 16, you know, I mentioned it last week, but we we talked about what happened before, like when when David makes it onto the scene in verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I have not because I have rejected him. He's talking about David's older brother. When Samuel went to anoint the next king of Israel, you know God had told Samuel, hey, go to Bethlehem. Go to Jesse. He's got some sons there. One of them is going to be the anointed king. David wasn't even in the room at the time. David was out tending sheep. He was not a, a invited to his own anointing party. And God gives us this line. It's highlighted in blue for you guys. It's so important. If you don't have this committed to memory, that's the challenge. That's the first practical Commit this one to memory. Man does not see what the Lord sees. For man sees what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. He says, We're focused on the outside, but God looks at the heart. Ladies, it's not all about our looks, it's about our hearts. You find yourself with a uh, you find yourself a man with a good heart. Men. Well, we're not going to preach on that. Just let the scripture speak for itself. God looks at the heart. We need to be looking at the heart. It's not just about the looks. It's not just about the stature. It's not just about what's on the outside. It is about the heart. David was a man after God's own heart. He wasn't perfect. What makes makes the story of David so inspiring is from an early age, he was anointed by God. And David knew he was going to do something great. And just to say it, like, sometimes that's what you need to hear. Hey, you are going to do something great. You don't have to be the king of a nation to do something great. Maybe you're going to make a difference in one person's life who's going to be the king of a nation. Maybe it's doing something great for your family or at your work. You are valuable. God doesn't make mistakes with His creation. You're not here wasting somebody else's valuable air. You are here for a reason. Okay? David knew that he was there for a reason, that he was going to do something great. It, It gave him confidence. David was brave. He cared for others. He even cared for his enemies. He loved his enemies. David made mistakes, and when he made mistakes, he repented towards God David did not allow himself to be defined by his mistakes, and those moments in David's life, this powerful man, when he decided to take control of his life and not let his life be led by God, he repented, and he gave it back to God. Sometimes he did it on his own, and sometimes he had the help of other people, because like what we learned on Sunday, last Sunday, David even though he was king, he never forgot who the real king was. He always knew, okay, God is God is in control of this whole situation. So even though you have the power and you actually have the control, you can do whatever you want. We all know that, right? I can do whatever I want. Do you remember, do you walk around remembering that, you know what, but I'm not really the king. And life is better when we prioritize God as our King versus ourselves. David realized it wasn't about him; it was God's will, it was God's way. And we have to make we have the opportunity to make that choice every single day. David he was anointed the king, but he had to wait. And after killing Goliath, he he reign, he, he he grew in popularity. But then that caused some jealousy with Saul, and he ended up on the run. We talked at midweek about he got his, his merry men, his mighty men, showed up to him to comfort him, to be with him at the cave. And then he and his men are on the run. And then we're going to pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 24. You can turn your Bibles over there. And I want to look at a couple instances in David's life. verse 1, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. And if you're wondering what that means... It means what it says. It's all had to go. And, but David and his men were far back in the cave. And the men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. And I love this. David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, afterward, David was conscience stricken. Something was moving on the inside of his heart. David realized that he was about to take control of something that was not his to take control of. And he had a whole group of men rooting him on. He was conscience-stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. He said to the men, the Lord forbid it that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David sharply rebuked his men, and he did not allow them to attack Saul, and Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and he called out to Saul. And I love this story because David could have taken control of the kingdom right there. He actually stepped out and he let Saul know and all of Saul's men know, I can take control of this. He steps out in front of everybody. He's got his 400 men behind him. Saul's army of 3,000 guys in front of him. And he steps out. He lets himself be seen. Hey, I was in the cave when you were doing your business. I got the corner of your robe to show for it. And he says, if you go on and read the story, he says, I just want you to know I spared you. God will be the judge. He will avenge the wrongs that you are doing. But as for me, I'm not going to touch you. I refuse to cut corners in my, role, in my road to being a kink. I refuse to do it my way. I'm going to let God do it his way. Two chapters later, David had the same opportunity. He gets this bright idea in 1 Samuel 26. He's, you know, Saul is, uh, you can go back one slide, he is, there with his men and he gets his idea with this guy named abishai and he's like hey saul and his men are camped and and all the saul is in the middle of the camp and all the guys are around him and and he's sleeping there so how about we sneak up on saul and so he and abishai like david's a sneaky dude you guys get that i mean he's one of he's like uh this is he's like special forces or something like that because i mean he's able to get really close to people and he gets up to saul and saul is sleeping in the Bible. And I love the details that the the Bible gives. It says he's sleeping with the spear at his head and then a bucket of water next to him. And David gets there and Abishai is so fired up to be there. And you know, Saul is sleeping and Abishai is looking at David. He's like, Hey, I can put a spear through him right now for you, David. I got this for you. I will take care of business. God has delivered him into your hands again. And David's response to Abishai, Don't destroy him. For who can lift a hand against the Lord's anointed and be blameless? David did not want to cut corners on his road to the throne. What do you do when you have the power? See, what I've learned over my life is not always about where you're at, it's how you got there. It's not about having all the money, it's how you made the money. Were you honest in the way, honest in the process, or did you come about it dishonestly? It's not about just getting your kids up and out of college, it's like, how did I do it? David was concerned with the process, and he he was determined to not take control. You know, I'm grateful to be a part of our Santa Cruz ministry as I was thinking about this this lesson and this point about how David did not want to take control. I, you know, I had to think about Ron and Cheryl. I have to lift them up for a second. Because Ron and Cheryl are concerned about the process. And making sure things are done the right way. And being thorough. And seeking God all the time. As they, as they led our church for many years now. And I'm just so grateful to be a part of a ministry that is led by a couple Who who isn't all isn't worried about the glory? They just want to do it the right way and not take control of it for themselves. But see, we like to, yeah, amen. See, some of us we like to cut corners because we like results now. I want to talk to some of the singles right here. Okay, this is and anybody that's single, by the way. Okay, it's not just the teens or the campus or the singles, but. There's a lot of single people here. I'm going to talk to you for a second. When it comes to finding a significant other, do not cut corners. Don't do that. Okay? It has to be God's way. Because if it's not, you might get married. You might find the booth thing that you've been looking for your whole life. Right? You might find them. But the process will matter. The process will matter. With my past and my history, I tell you what, you know, I, I had mistreated women. I had looked at women not in a godly way. When I became a Christian, I decided, okay, I get to reset this. I am going to treat women the right way. I am going to honor them with absolute purity. The Bible says to treat younger women as if they're your sister. I've got a sister. I know what it's like. I know how I look at my sister. I know how to treat my sister. I know how I honor my sister. I know how I want her husband to honor her. It said to look at older women with respect. And so I was like, okay, I've got to treat women the right way. You know, when I dated Lashana, it was hard because... I made a decision, and it was just a decision that I made. I said, I, we're not going to kiss while we're dating. And now from a worldly perspective, and especially from my background, that's weird. Okay? Because my goal after every date before becoming a Christian was to kiss on the first date. That was my goal. If I didn't kiss on the first date, I might not call her back. Right? That's just how I thought. That's where my mind was. And with Lashana, I said, you know what? I want to honor her above myself. I don't want to take control. Our first kiss was on the altar. We stuck it out. We we dated for nine months. We were engaged for three. And our first kiss was on the altar. And I can tell you this. Because I decided to not take control of the purity of our relationship and let God handle it. We trust each other so much, but I can't tell you how many couples that we've talked to and counseled who broke the purity, did not allow God to take control, and they have trust issues now in their marriage. Guys, singles, don't, don't take control. Let God lead that, because that is an important part of your life. It's how you get there. Parents with kids. You know what's funny? I got two little kids and sometimes I, I just wanna take control. And I know that with my little boys that if I raise my voice, they will respond. And there's sometimes where you need to kinda elevate the voice a little, like, sit down. Not just, hey, son, sit down. No, sit down. Okay, that's that's the repeating voice. That's the that's the one that's elevated. But it's sometimes I, I just gotta be honest, this is one of those areas where I'm like, I just get I past the elevated voice and I get to yelling and I'm yelling in my emotion saying, sit down, stop talking. Why are you being emotional? Stop throwing fits. And I'm like, I'm throwing an adult fit as I'm telling my son to stop throwing a fit. (laughs) Like that just doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. I'm taking control. I need to give the control back to God. You know, some of us, we have a hard time with our emotions. We decide we, we want to take control of it. And here's the thing. You can win an argument by getting angry or by losing your temper. You can win an argument because somebody just doesn't want to fight that. You can change the whole vibe of a room by kind of throwing your own little fit, by, by, by manipulating a situation, by, by whining, by getting inward. You can control the whole vibe of a room by complaining. But that's taking control. It takes work. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of self-denial to give God the control, to not cut corners, to do things the right way. But God will honor that. He rewards you for that. And David allowed his conscience to speak to him. He did not want to take control. Even when the guys were telling him to take control. Like go back. I want to look at a slide really quick. Go back. Is this one working? No, nope, there we go. The men said, verse 4, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands. That's true. God was going to give his enemy into his hands. He says, for you to deal with as you wish. Not true. God never said that. God never said, hey, he didn't say, I'm going to give the enemy into your hands so that you can do with them whatever you want. You know, sometimes we will have people in our background telling us to take control, to do it your way. Make it happen your way. Let your, just be happy. It's like the Bible never says that. It'll sound good. It might even have some partial truth like David's men were here, here saying. But it's not the God truth. It's not the truth that God has for us. David knew. He allowed his conscience to speak to him in order to not take control. I love in Psalm 59, David says about God, You are my strength. I watch for you. I can rely on you, God. And then he says, God will go before me. David had his priorities straight. He knew who the true king was it's how you get there it's not just that you arrive it's how you arrive now here's the thing about David it wasn't always this because sandwiched between these two stories I love this story it's fascinating in first Samuel chapter 25 it, David is in the wilderness and he finds himself in a land of a wealthy man you can turn your Bibles over there and without asking he becomes the protector of this, land, this man's land. In 1 Samuel chapter 25, we're going to read verse 4 through 13. Oh, sorry. There we go. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent 10 young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household. And good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them, and the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants, and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my men, since we came—we come at a festival time or festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. David's telling the ball, hey. We came and we we protected you guys. We could have taken over, but we decided not to do that. So what can you do for us? When David's man arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, and they then they waited. Nabal answered David's servant, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and they went back. And when they arrived, they reported every word to David. David said to his men, strap on your swords. We're going to war. And about 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. David was ready to slaughter Nabal because Nabal wasn't being nice, didn't want to share. And this is one of those stories where, like, I wish David, we could say David was going to let God take control, but no, that's not what happens. In verse 14, one of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, and David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. And in verse 15, it's up on the screen, yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us. The whole time, we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. And then it says, Abigail acted quickly. The servants go to Abigail and they're like, hey, you've got to do something. These guys have been awesome for us. They've been protecting us. Abigail, what can you do? And it says she acted quickly and the story goes on. She loads up some food for them. She gets some bread, some raisin cakes, those were those sound good. Some fig cakes. I don't know about you guys, but I love figs. And she goes to David and his men, and, and, and she actually runs into them on the way down to the ravine. They, they're, they're coming up this ravine, and she's going down into this ravine, and she runs into them. And you just got to imagine this scene. They are coming, and David has already said, Far be it from me that if not one of their household is still alive by the end of this. David was on a mission to slaughter. He was ready to take control. Maybe he, had, maybe he was feeling like, oh, I didn't take control of Saul, so i got to let my anger out somewhere. And that's what he was ready to do. And, and Abigail begins to do something. That This is just expertly done what she does. She begins to treat David as if he's already the king. She treats him like the man that she hopes he will become. Ladies, this works on us. It really works on us guys. I tell you what, if you ask my wife, I am not a big guy, but she will tell you I am stronger than every single one of you guys here, if you ask LaShana. That is all I've heard from my wife. She's like, you are so strong. Yesterday we're cooking, we had some friends over, and she's like, can you open the garlic? And I'm like, do you want to watch? There you go, honey. Open that garlic. This works on us. Even when we know what you're doing, it works on us. Hey, honey, can you take out the trash? I bet you can't do it with one arm. Yeah, I can. You guys know what I mean? She begins to speak to the potential that David has. You know, some of you have cut corners. You've taken matters into your own hands because you feel like it's all on you. And what you need are some new cheerleaders. What you need are some people in your life that are going to tell you, Hey, you're better than that. You that's not who you are. That's not what God did for you. That's not why the son died on the cross for you. You you can make a better decision. You don't have to go there. Some of us in our marriages, we we need to get better at being our, our husband and our wife's biggest cheerleader. You know, my wife is the most beautiful person in the room. I'm not trying to be biased. It's just the truth. I want her, I want to be her biggest cheerleader, and I want her to be my biggest cheerleader. So many of our marriages die because we just lack that encouragement. I'm not talking about the fake encouragement. I'm talking about we really lifting each other up. We're actually speaking the truth. Abigail is about to speak the truth to David, but she's going to do it in such a way that honors him, that speaks to his potential. It's positive in a way, but it also calls him higher at the same exact time. I mean, the way she does this, it's just she was so far ahead of her time in the way she dealt with and how she talked to David. Just look at it really quick. In verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and she bowed down before David with her face to the ground and she fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my lord. He was not her lord. She said, Let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention. To that wicked man, Nabal. He's just like his name. His name means fool. And folly goes with him. As for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed. She's like speaking to the future now. She's like, as he has kept you from bloodshed, like he, you will not kill everybody. Like a little Jedi mind trick on him right now as he kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands. May your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men following you. And in verse 28, please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles. And no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you. She knew Saul was pursuing him. She's like, even though someone's pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies will be, hurl, will be will hurled away as from the pocket of a sling. And I, and I love that she says that because she kind of, Takes David back to his glory days, back to David and Goliath. You know, he's like, what did he do with Goliath? How did he conquer the giant? The sling. And she's like, he's going to hurl your enemies away with the sling. Man, she knows what she's doing. David is melting in his right now in her hands. And then she goes on to say, When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord, will not have on his, listen to the words she says, he will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. Abigail basically says, hey David, at the end of this interaction, there's going to be a story that you're going to tell. What do you want that story to be like? What story do you want to tell when that interaction is nothing more than a story? How many of us would change the way we talk to our spouses, our friends, our coworkers if we thought that way? If we said, at the end of this, this is just going to be a story that I recount about how my day went. Or how my week went. Because th- this is just going to be a story. And I get to make the choice. And you know, God sent Abigail into David's life. The amazing thing about David is sometimes he was moved in his own conscience. Even though he had people behind him shouting and telling him to do it, to kill Saul, to take control. And sometimes David need to be, needed to be led. He needed to have somebody else come into his life. And help him out and speak to his potential and say, hey, you're better than this. You're better than that decision you're making. You're better than how you're talking to me right now. You're better than what's going on in your life. Like God has amazing plans for you. But if you, if you make that decision, you're going to regret it. You're going to have this on your conscience. And I don't want you to do that. And David thanks her for it. He's like, Thank you. He feels indebted to her. He decides he's not going to take control. He's, he's like, I'm not going to avenge. I'm not going to take my revenge. And I love how the story ends here. David was grateful to Abigail. And in 1 Samuel 25, 38 and 39, about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. Then David sent word to Abigail, asking her to become his wife. He liked what he saw. He liked how she talked to him. She encouraged him. And his servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to take you to become his wife. Go to the next slide. Abigail quickly got on a donkey and attended by her five female servants, went to David's messengers and became his wife. God took care of it. David got a wife out of it. I just love how that story ends. You know, the road to the throne for David, as we're closing, David learned it's not about me. It's God's will. It's God's way. It's God's time. He didn't want to take control. He didn't want to violate the will of God to gain the blessing of of the promise or the promise of God, he he realized it's not about me. And even though the road to the throne from the promise was 15 years, David did not take control. It took a while because he refused to replace what God had put in place on his own. David said, God, you're going to take this. David was also an influenceable king. He allowed other people to influence him. And then as we skip ahead into 2 Samuel chapter 5, by this point, David is about to be anointed king. And I'm skipping a lot. you got to go back and read it all on your own. David is about to be anointed king over all of Israel. And in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, You were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people, Israel, and you will become their ruler. And then David does something amazing in verse 3. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them before the Lord. David did not have to. At this point, David had all the power. He had all the influence. He had all the authority in the room. He could have made them bow to him. But instead, David looks at them, at all the elders. At the time, the the kingdom that he was about to lead was not unified. He was king over Judah, and the other 11 were not following him. The, The other 11 tribes were not following him. And at this point, the 12 come to him, and he looks at them And he makes the covenant with them, and the key words, before the Lord. He decides to tell them, he publicly declares that he would be a king under authority. Think about your baptism. When you said in front of all those witnesses, Jesus is Lord. You were telling people, hey, I am... I am not my own authority anymore. I am giving it to him. I am giving him total authority. And David makes this covenant with the people. He says, I am the king, but I am not the king. I'm a king, but I'm not the king. He submitted himself to God's law. And if you know the rest of the story, there are times in David's life where God's law actually convicts David and reveals his heart. And David has to repent Multiple times. And then a thousand years later, God holds the, keeps the promise to David. Because he tells David that, hey, there is going to be a king in your lineage, and he's going to sit on a throne that's going to last forever. And Jesus enters the scene. And you find Jesus saying these words in uh, Mark chapter 10. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you, Must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And here's the the, the closing point. Here's the one thing that I want you guys to walk away with. And here's what I do with my power. Here's what I do with my influence. Your greatness, your power, your influence, it will be determined by your selflessness. It will be determined by how quickly you do not take control. Whether by your conscience or you have somebody else like an Abigail in your life to help you not take control. Whether how quickly you are to serve or to be served. Jesus says, the greatest among you will be those who serve. Who lay their lives down for other people. David had the heart of his men. He had the heart of God because... He wasn't willing to take, take, he wasn't willing to cut corners. He took the long, righteous route. He was humble. He was humble to the people around him that spoke the truth. He was humble to the word of God. He knew the word of God. And he knew that the word of God could be misinterpreted. And so he had to know it for himself. Do you know it for yourself? If you're here this morning and you've never really studied the Bible, I want to challenge you. Study the Bible to know it for yourself. Okay? Because anybody could say anything up here. There's been a, a you know, one of the things I, I do not like to hear is somebody says, well, a preacher said this to me one day and so I believed it. And I was like, what? No. I want you to be moved and inspired by the Word of God, not by something that just a preacher says. Seek it for yourself. Dig in for yourself. And it takes a lot of selflessness to do that because in that process, you have to give God the control and realize, hey, it's not really about me. I'm not the king. He's the king. Think of ourselves less. Think of God before me. We're going to stand up and we're going to close in one final song. And as we're leaving here today, I want you to think about that phrase that John the Baptist said. He must be greater. I must be less. Amen. Let's stand.